bit of a different teaching today. I'm, I'm incorporating a history lesson. This is actually a teaching I did years and years and years ago, and I, I was uh, searching through some old papers, and I found this, and I thought this is very relevant for where we are today. The, the message is entitled, The Tale of Two Ships. Yeah. So because of the content of this message, I've got to do a whole lot of reading as opposed to just uh, um, speaking into the camera teaching. So I'm, I'm going to read a lot of this just to make you aware. But to keep you entertained, we have lots of pictures so that uh, you don't have to look at the top of my head the entire teaching. But this is a really, really Im important uh, message about truly where we are today. So I, I want you to just not listen as a history lesson. I want you to think about where are you right now, okay? It was the largest ship in the world and was built in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, she was the largest movable object man had ever made. It was over 11 stories tall and almost one-sixth of a mile long. Now, now think of that. Think of that. She made her maiden voyage from Southampton, England on April the 10th, 1912, and she was, quote, the promise and pride of a new age. And of course, you know that her name was Titanic. Her, her stateroom, ballrooms, restaurants, and 50-foot wide promenades were the talk of Europe. Mm -hmm. She had lavish staircases, chandeliers, statues, and panel lounges. She was stocked with the best art, the books, furniture, and even had gold bathroom fixtures. Sound like your house? <laughs> She had a gymnasium, exercise bikes, a rowing machine, and a swimming pool, and even a squash court. Squash was the European form of racquetball, which is God's favorite sport. <laughs> she even carried a Renault car, the finest hunting dogs available, and luggage so expensive that one woman's alone was estimated, this is just the luggage, not the contents, at more than $177,000. The ship was under the command of 62-year-old Captain Smith, who was under his last assignment before he was about to retire from his 26-year-long career. Her passengers were largely Scottish and Irish people in third class, making their way to America. But there were also the super-rich who occupied luxurious cabins in first class. Among the more than 2,200 passengers were millionaire Ben Guggenheim, the wealthy founder of Macy's department store Isidore Strauss, President Taft's military advisor. Also on board was the richest man in the world, John Jacob Astor, who was worth an estimated $100 million. That's money in those days. That's not today's money. Uh, John Jacob Astor had his five-month pregnant wife on board with him. By the way, he died, she survived. The music teacher to Teddy Roosevelt's children, who would become our president one day. There was a squash pro, a movie star, and even the Titanic's architect. John B. Thayer, who was the vice president of the famous Pennsylvania Railroad, was on board, as well as George Widener, the richest family in Philadelphia. Tells you a little bit about the caliber of the folks that were on board the Titanic. One frightened woman 
asked a steward about the ship's safety, and the steward declared in a voice hundreds could hear, quote, Madam, even God himself could not sink this ship. What's the verse? Pride goes before a fall. In the ship's library, this was astounding when I, when I read this. In the ship's library, among the hundreds of books provided for reading material, was one written by Morgan Robertson called Futility. And this book told the fictional story of a ship called the Titan, which struck an iceberg and sank at sea with a huge loss of life. That book, Futility, was written in 1898, 14 years before the Titanic's only voyage, and the records show no one checked out the book and no one heard the warning. Wow. You see, every time something horrible happens that the devil designs against us, mm -hmm. if we are listening, God usually gives a clue. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's not to scare us. I'm not talking about those kinds of prophets that you're about to fly somewhere and a prophet calls you and says, the Lord gave me a dream, you're going to die in a plane wreck, don't take your trip. I'm not talking about that. That's typically control. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about when you're going through a season in your future and all of a sudden every time you turn around you keep hearing messages on humility okay that may mean that you have gigantic promotions in the future and God keeps saying walk carefully walk carefully walk carefully walk carefully walk carefully because your promotion can set you up for a huge crash uh, remember the old saying treat people really good on your way up because you're going to meet him again on your way down <laughs> on the evening of the third day of the voyage lookout frederick fleet had reported an iceberg straight ahead and the Titanic, whose captain had been ignoring ice warnings from the other ships for three days now, then attempted an evasive maneuver. Instead of a head-on collision, the crew ordered a hard a starboard, whatever that means, hard a starboard, and reversed engines. The result was that a spur of the ice off the massive iceberg hit the ship just below the waterline and scraped the underside for 10 seconds splitting open the ship like a can opener for 300 feet, wow. destroying five out of six of its watertight compartments that kept it afloat. Mm -hmm. Mrs. White, a passenger, noticed a strange vibration during the collision, and she said it was though the ship went over a thousand marbles. Mm -hmm. Lady Gordon, another passenger, heard a noise that sounded like someone had drew a giant finger all along the side of the boat. Elizabeth Schutz, yet another passenger, remembered only bitterly cold air pouring into her bedroom and a strange odor as if it came from a clammy cave. That was the smell of the iceberg. The nearby ship, the Californian, who could have easily picked up and saved every person on board, couldn't receive urgent telegrams from the Titanic since the Californian's telegraph operator shut off his wireless after being told to shut up when he sent the Titanic its last warning of icebergs in the area. Oh my God. 
These people were repeatedly warned, just like many are warned today. Your, your actions are going to cause bankruptcy of soul. Your actions are going to destroy your relationships. Your actions are going to hurt your marriage. Your actions are going to whatever. God repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly sends warnings. And sadly, many people just say to God, shut up. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you may say, well, I would never tell God to shut up. If you close your Bible, you've told, in effect, you've told God to shut up. Because that's how he primarily speaks to you. Yeah, that's right. That's true. There were only 37 seconds between the first sighting and the impact. Wow. It's hard to prepare for 37 seconds. Mm -hmm. At 11.40 p.m. on April 14th, the colossal Titanic collided with the iceberg. Original plans called for 64 lifeboats. The number had been cut in half to 32. And by the time she sailed, she had only 16. Wow. Because ships that God himself can't sink don't need lifeboats. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Passengers were entertaining themselves, kicking, kicking around ice that dropped on the deck. Some first-class passengers laughingly arranged for snowball matches for the next morning. In the smoking room, one of the card players pointed to his whiskey glass and suggested that someone run out on deck for ice to chill his drink. <laughs> Even while the ship was taking in massive amounts of water, the stewards were getting the dining room tables ready for tomorrow's breakfast, and the ship's bands were playing a great big beautiful doll and Alexander's ragtime doll. Soon, however, panic set in. Half-empty lifeboats were launched into the freezing 28-degree water. Men, pretending to be women, left their friends behind to force themselves onto the lifeboats. In the first-class lounge, drunken card games continue undisturbed by the chaos, while passengers in the third class were locked below decks until the upper class could board the lifeboats. Isn't this unbelievable? I don't think it's too far of a stretch to even look at our nation today. We've got a, a, an election coming up and everybody, everybody, everybody's panicked. What if we get a, a Democrat who's a socialist? What if we get a conservative in who's a, who's a dictator? What, what if all the Christian people keep dropping out like Dr. Ben Carson did? Um, you know what? If we will properly prepare, we don't have to panic. Um, are we praying for our schools where the children now run the schools because we couldn't put Ten Commandments in? We refuse to provide any morality base for our children, so now the kids run the schools. We're bankrupt because we want something for nothing. We hate the idea of work today. Uh, it, it, we're clearly an entitlement society. We want something free for nothing. And uh, where, where do you think that's going to come from? Well, the, the best, brightest idea now was let's, let's take it away from rich people. Right. <clears throat> How long before there are no more rich people? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's right. That's good. Mrs. Rosa Abbott had been thrown into the sea with her two boys. They were both drowned, but she managed to swim to safety aboard a lifeboat. And here's her quote. One more clamoring aboard would have swamped our already crowded craft, she recalled, so those on board used oars to strike the swimmers who attempted to climb on. Hundreds of others swimming alone in the freezing water shrieked and moaned as they slowly froze to death. And the unbearable screams gradually died away 
as they one after, after another could no longer stand the cold and the exposure. 1,523 passengers plunged into the North Atlantic to their deaths on that day. That's the tale of the Titanic. But then there was another ship. This ship left from the exact same Southampton port, although she sailed almost 400 years before the Titanic. This ship was no longer than a volleyball court and had only a few stories high. This second ship, after 66 dangerous wintry days on the North Atlantic, reached safe harbor, but she shouldn't have. Halfway across the ocean, the ship was slammed by such a violent storm that the main beam of the ship broke in half. And then someone remembered that they had a printing press on board and they brought out the giant screw that they used for the, for the printing press as a jack and the crew pressed the beam back into place. <laughs> a bona fide miracle that that worked. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Violent storms forced the passengers below deck with hatches bolted for weeks at a time. There was one death at sea and many were severely ill. There were pregnant women aboard. Perhaps even worse, more than one-third of the passengers were small children. It was a terrifying, vomiting, bone-breaking experience of 66 days. They should have never made it. But they had a mission statement. We think we've invented mission statements. <laughs> they had a mission statement for why they sailed, and I'll quote it. For the glory of God mm -hmm. and the advancement of the Christian faith mm -hmm. to be stepping stones, that's a servant, mm -hmm. to be stepping stones of the light of Jesus that the natives of this new land might embrace the Prince of Peace and that a new land of light might be a resting place for the glory of God. Amen. They called that mission statement the Mayflower Compact, named for the cramped little ship, the Mayflower. Wow. And the passengers, you may know, were called pilgrims. Wow. This is the tale of two ships. Wow. One proudly outfitted and proudly sailed to the glory of man. The other, with no natural hope of success, launched for the glory of God by his humble servants for the benefit of us. The first ship, after three days of luxury, sinks. The second, after 66 days of hell, arrives safely. <clears throat> I want you to pause and think if you've been through hell. Okay. <clears throat> the one thing I have a trouble with, with many online and TV ministries, is it's all sanitized and much of it is edited. Everyone gets up and smiles. They've never had a bad day. They don't perspire. They've never had a cavity. Every hair is in place. <clears throat> Every testimony is, I did A and God did B and everything was absolutely astounding and amazing. But you know what? We are all Mayflowers. Everybody on this planet, the Bible says, will go through difficult days, through seasons, through trials, through testing, and we don't have to pretend those days away in order to get people attracted to God. 
here's the issue. <clears throat> Sometimes we sanitize our testimony because we want to project that once we got born again, Jesus became our genie, and every time we got in trouble, we rubbed our Bible, and poof, the answers came. <laughs> All right. Now, when you, are, when you are witnessing to an unbeliever and you project that, they, they are in unbelief. They, they think, you're not living in the real world. Are you telling me you don't ever get a head cold? You never get the flu because you have enough faith? Are you telling me that you always have more than enough money or you've never made a bad mistake? Are you telling me your kids are awesome? Seriously, your kids are awesome? Can we secretly tape your house? <laughs> Do you know what's very attractive to unbelievers? I'm talking to Christians now. You know what's very attractive? When you can say, I went through 66 days of hell, but God. I still love God. I'm still standing. I'm still healthy. I still love people. I still love God. still love myself. Been through a horrible, horrible situation, but here I am standing. Yes. And when you go through something difficult, you can either be like the Titanic. You, you can either surround yourself with luxury and pretense. You, you, you can either feel like you have no need of God or like the Mayflower, you can humbly acknowledge, I need a lot of help to get through life. Two ships. Which will your life reflect, the Titanic or the Mayflower? In Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Hmm. Want to talk about ships? Let's talk about ships. Hmm. Jonah boarded a ship to run away from God, God's love, and God's will. Hmm. If you're a Jonah today, get off that ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize sometimes the will of God leads you right into the fire? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's been times in my life where I was about to make a decision and I prayed and prayed and prayed. I talked to everybody who I thought was prophetic. If you could even spell the word prophet, I called you. <laughs> And I said, do you have any word from God on this? Am I going to make the right decision? And when I got 100% agreement and everybody was on board and everything felt right and there was a lot of peace and I made the decision, then all hell broke loose and everything went upside down. <laughs> now what do you do? do? Do you say, well, I guess I didn't hear from God? I did hear from God. I can't say that. That's not the truth. Right. I did hear from God. God said, go to this situation or make this decision. Okay. So do you say, well, then my... 82 friends and counselors and family members misheard? Mm -hmm. No, I think they heard too. So what happened? God led you into a fire. Mm -hmm. right. 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 God called you into a circumstance like the Mayflower that 66 days later they had enough integrity and values and backbone and courage and honor and humility to birth a nation that would change the planet. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe if you hear the will of God and you end up in a crisis, you end up going through something difficult, it may be that instead of the Titanic, God sees you as the Mayflower and he says, listen, this is going to sting. Okay? This is going to hurt a little bit. However, once you get through it, your ability to help people is going to exponentially expand. Before you could identify with the 12 people who walk like you and talk like you and eat like you and think like you and they've got the same eye color and skin color, after 66 days of hell in the ocean, you can identify with everybody, cats, dogs, giraffes. <laughs> the, the, your empathy level is off the charts, and the Lord says, now you are useful. Yeah. Now I can bring broken, hurting people into your life. You're not going to look down your nose. You're not going to judge them. And in and, and sincerity, you're not going to say, I don't understand what you're going through. You're going to be able to say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Yep. I know all about this stuff. That was Jonah. In Acts 14, you, you just got to read the whole chapter. After preaching the gospel in a place named Derby and making many disciples, Acts 14 says, Paul returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, where he strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, and then he traveled back to Pamphylia and preached the word in Perga, then went down to Attilia, and finally they returned by ship to Antioch, where their journey had begun. I, I read all these names of cities because a lot of this is him jumping on ship to ship to ship to ship. Mm -hmm. So Paul, too, boarded a ship, but it was to travel all over the known world to minister the gospel that Jesus saves us from sin. Yeah. Here's two men now. Which will your life reflect? Are you a Jonah? Mm -hmm. Always trying to get away from God? Always hiding from his will? Yeah. Or are you a Paul? Mm -hmm. And you use the ship to facilitate your calling and your anointing. All right. yeah. <laughs> We're living, in my opinion, in the greatest time on earth. This little taping in my living room reaches thousands of people every week and the potential is you could reach millions. Yeah. Now we're not doing that yet. Mm -hmm. But the potential is anybody could tune into YouTube, anybody could go on Facebook or whatever, you could be, you could be reaching millions of people. So why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Because some of your stories, some of your lives, you've been the Mayflower, you're not a Titanic, you've been the Mayflower, you have so, so much to offer people. And you say, well, well, all this stuff's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of work to get dressed in the morning. This takes a lot of work to tie a tie. Uh, it was either that or come out naked. <laughs> I think you prefer the tie. <laughs> yeah, taping and ministering and, and playing guitar. Ryan told me one time, he said, if I don't play a lot, then my yeah. fingers lose calluses. Then every time I try to play, your fingers hurt like heck. Um, yeah. there, there's always a price. Every time you try to reach out and help somebody, there's always a price. Listen, your tithes and offerings come at a price. Nobody that I'm thinking of has unlimited resources and you just throw money at a ministry and say, I didn't need it, wouldn't miss it, couldn't use it, I don't care. Everybody giving ties and offerings, it hurts to do so. That's right. Hello? Is 10% easy to give away? No. 
And that's why God calls that a sacrifice. And he said, you know what? When you have a ministry, a man of God, a woman of God, somebody teaching you, protecting you, praying for you, loving you, when you give your tithe, when you give 10 cents out of the dollar, that sacrifice is a pleasure to God. Oh, yeah. And that sacrifice becomes multiplied and something supernatural, just like the Mayflower, something supernatural happens. Listen, I have a practice, and that is whenever I'm financially really taking a hit, I increase my giving. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, you, you may think that's counterintuitive, because it is. <laughs> um, a, a, a little while back, maybe a year ago or so, all of a sudden my income was, was screeching to a halt. Things were going really bad. And uh, I told our, our, our bookkeeper, I, Nora handles our books, I said, from now on, everything I earn, you give 15%. I'm going to give a tithe every week and 5% offering every single week. I don't even want to see it. When I get a horrible paycheck, I, I, la, 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 la. I don't want to know about it. You just take 15% right off the top because I said, I am going to teach the devil. If you hit me, I'll hit back. You hurt me, I'm going to keep, and, and if you hurt me more, I'll give 18% or 19%. It, it may be inconsequential to some people, but for me, that was, that was a big deal. And I told the Lord, I'm going to keep demonstrating to my own insecurities and my own fears. Yeah. You come first. Yeah. Right. You come first. Amen. Yeah. And, then, and then in the real world what happens is you get through those 66 days of hell like the Mayflower and all of a sudden God shows you the land that you get to inherit. Yeah. Yeah. And the children grow up to adults and get married. And the pregnant ladies on the Mayflower give birth to beautiful kids. That's good. That's good. And the stories that some of you are hearing today in American history are nonsense. Yeah. If you really, really read, read the old accounts, not the revised new accounts that came out of Harvard and Stanford. If you will read the true old accounts of the pilgrims, you'll be amazed. They were not stuffy, mean-spirited people. They enjoyed life. They had lots of parties. Um, the relationship between the pilgrims and the American Indians at Plymouth were magnificent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay? Now, I know you're going to hear white people brought chicken pox. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we did. All right? And Indians probably had diseases that white people caught, too. Um, you, you can focus on some of these things that are, that are the true negatives of life, and they're real, and, and I'm not making light of them, but the reality was was that at the beginning of our nation, there was such a, a, a evangelistic, heartfelt spirit mm -hmm. that we did not go to America, the pilgrims, mm -hmm. to see how many Indians we could slaughter to take away their acres. Right. That's good. That's I read to you their mission statement. Yeah, that's great. If their mission statement was to share the gospel to the, of the Prince of Peace, do you really think they'd go around cutting heads off to everyone that they met? Yeah, that's good. That's good. We have unprecedented opportunities to help hurting people today. Mm. So the question is, will you live your life like the Titanic or the Mayflower? Mm. Mm. Who are you carrying with you on your life journey? And what will the end of your life look like? Mm. You're going to spend your days like Jonah running away from God or like Paul living every day on purpose? Mm. Good question. Good. Let's vote Mayflower, <laughs> Apostle Paul. <laughs> Let's stay off the Titanic, 